carriers are moving to a software-defined infrastructure and more of an open standard disaggregated architecture that allows them to deliver agile network features as well as networking slicing capabilities that support variant and diverse workloads. And that may be for the theorists to understand, but that transition is going to have a huge impact on vertical markets as well as consumers because of the flexibility and capabilities of those new network types. Hi, and welcome to another Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. Today, I have the privilege of being joined in the studio by Liam Quinn. Now, Liam is a senior vice president and a senior fellow of Dell Technologies in the Client Solution Group. Liam, thanks for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thank you, Des. I appreciate the time. Thank you. Indeed, I've been looking forward to this conversation for some time. Now, for listeners who have tuned in, just to give you an insight into what we're going to chat about, we're going to have a chat about some of the challenges around the whole era of 5G and the topic of hyperconnectivity and what that actually means, and particularly in the context of of a recent uh, report that was produced uh, called Realizing 2030 and a whole range of topics around what it means and all the challenges that might bring with it. We're going to also talk about the whole topic of demystifying the hype around 5G and specifically talk about some of the application and implications that come with it in the context of sort of one, five, and ten years' time. And then we're going to chat about some of the practical tips and learning, some of the lessons learned that Liam's seen from boardrooms to water callers and a range of interesting insights that he'll be able to share there. But before we kick off, Liam, I wonder uh, if I could uh, get you to maybe share with listeners just a little insight into you personally. Uh, we'd love to get to know you as an individual before we talk about your role in, in the world of Dell Technologies, maybe where you're originally from and where you grew up, a bit of your academic career path and how you came to this exciting role you have currently today. Thank you, Des. Um, so uh, I'm from the west of Ireland. I grew up on a farm. I'm one of nine kids. Uh, there's about 12 years between us, so four boys and uh, four, uh, four girls and five boys, so uh, pretty close. And uh, you tend to uh, develop a great work ethic growing up on a farm and uh, went to a two-room school. So there's four grades in one room and four grades in another room. So in total, there's about eight of us in the school at any given time. Uh, we went there. And of course, you walk to school mile each way, and as I say, uphill both ways, given that there's a hill <laughs> <laughs> uh, between the house and the school. So um, I think... Uh, it was great because you went there, it didn't matter the weather or the, the conditions, um, and you went there after milking or doing your chores at the at the farm before uh, you went to school and the same when you came back. And I think that was a, in retrospect, that was a fundamental grounding of work, tenacity, resilience uh, in any task assigned. So I find that now even at work in the high-tech area that um, – I always associate work, and when people say they're working hard, as physical work, and I never think of myself as working hard physically. So therefore, I don't uh, I don't feel that I work hard because it's a different type of work. So I think it was a great uh, grounding, a great uh, set of parents and siblings, and you know, extended family, and um, so uh, it's great to go back. And in fact, I'm going back there tomorrow for for a wedding. So I'm looking forward to that. Wow! Fantastic. One of the fascinations I had growing up uh, was we didn't have a TV until I was probably in my teenage years. We had a wireless radio. And, of course, you had to get that battery uh, recharged in the nearest town every two weeks. Uh, It sounds archaic, but that was reality. Um, And I was just fascinated with the the concept of voice or uh, content and media coming out of the radio 
and there was no wires attached. So I think that was my first introduction or fascination with technology. And, um, you know, it was that sort of uh, fascination that drove me into going into engineering school after high school. And uh, that was in Dublin, did a double E degree there. And then I worked for a year and um, I missed school, but I actually was working for a um, a computer company out of uh, Irvine, California, and the computer era was coming in at that time. So I decided to just stop work and go back to college to a different university for a computer engineering degree. So that was one of the best moves I've ever made. And um, from that, I came back, worked at the same company for a number of years, but I also taught at my original university for four years, uh, primarily to continue the grounding on electrical engineering as well as complementing that with the telecommunications and computer engineering disciplines that um, I had in my second uh, university. So that was the, the grounding of my fascination with uh, networking, communications, telecommunications. So come full circle right now, I'm working on 5G as the exec sponsor with another um, executive here at Dell, uh, developing our pan-Dell technology strategy across the company. So all of that work sort of have come full circle right now and um, in a great position to drive a strategy in a new and emerging area like 5G. And um, I think we're going to talk about that a little later. And all of the all of the capabilities and understanding have, have come full circle on that. I remember reading an article a while back that uh, you wired up your entire farmhouse or, or shed uh, when you were tinkering with some of the electronics um, so it sounds like you're a bit of a. I, I did actually. <coughs> electrical. I hacker. did actually, and um, it. Uh, I I actually learned that myself, and and um, because we had a, a an electrician come in, and when he'd go home at night, I'd sort of open up all the plugs and the 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 sockets and understand how we put it together, and of course, ask him a thousand questions every every day. They was there or hundreds of questions, and um, that's how I, I learned it, and then. Uh, later on, when I was in my teens, I actually rewired the whole farm, and that wiring is still in place. And luckily, nobody's been injured from that. So, <laughs> I'll check it out uh, on Thursday when I get back there. <laughs> I look forward to an update on that. Um, well, that that I guess that inquisitive uh, brain has been uh, on fire ever since. Because uh, looking at the uh, amount of stuff you've been doing lately, I mean, uh, I made notes around some of the things that uh, since you joined Dell back in I think it was 1997. As I said earlier, I mean, you've you've published and been granted some 110 uh, patents, and I think you've got a bunch of others that uh, are still pending. Uh, you represent Dell on the board of the Wi-Fi Alliance and the University of uh, Texas's um, Wireless Networking and Communications Group. Uh, you're an exec sponsor for the University of Texas's School of Engineering, uh, as well as, I think, the College of Natural Science. You're, you're a member of the University of Texas's um, uh, is it Cogrell School of Engineering Advisory Board, and the list goes on. I mean, I'm, I'm just wondering how you even fit all the stuff in. I think you're, um, you know, you, you've got a, a busy job as it was in your day job, but then you seem to fit all this amazing other uh, uh, activity in. Uh, how, how on earth do you even juggle that uh, challenge? Actually, it's, uh, I think it comes to a point where, where you, you get to balance. Uh, it's just like in your industry, you know people, um, you know the, the, uh, the scope of, of work and assignments. Uh, in fact, last night I was down at Texas State University giving a lecture down there. The dean had asked me to come down and talk about 5G. Um, and you get to the point where you, and not a lot of preparation is required because it's already fresh and, and it's live and active. 
And at this point in my career and my life, it's great to be in a position to give back. And I know that sounds trite, but to give back and look at students that are, you know, seniors or graduates and be able to talk about an emerging topic like 5G or, or networking. And it's more of a discussion. It's more of a sharing. It's more of a, what would I tell myself if it was 30 years ago? And I'm enjoying it right now. And uh, you get a great sense of, of feedback and satisfaction of passing it on um, because we are in a position like that. I'm not being uh, cocky about it, but um I enjoy it, and so, um, again, I enjoy the university life, and at some point I'll end up being a professor at one of these universities uh, when I hang up my uh, scope, um, my oscilloscope uh, leads. So, you know, that would be the end goal or the trajectory there. Well, I do love that. I, I think, you know, the, we're sort of at the point where, there are, you know, a lot of people struggle to find the time to do any of that, and I sort of refer to that as paying it forward because, I think every day that we invest in that kind of, uh, you know, knowledge sharing and so forth, uh, which, you know, in humanity, when we go back 10 or 15,000 years ago, and when there was no written word and people sat around the fireplace and told stories and relayed the history, that's how we learned. And I think the amazing stuff you're doing, you know, you're published an author, you you write a lot of material, you're on screen a lot, but, but that FaceTime of you there as a lecturer and sharing that knowledge, I mean, it's impossible to replicate that. And that knowledge goes directly into the hearts and minds of the next generation. And I think that's such an important thing for us to be doing. So I congratulate you on that. Cause, and I think it's a lot of fun. I mean, you must enjoy it as well to have that direct feedback from those people who are sort of sometimes probably hanging on every word you say and then, then have the Q&A session at the end sort of really delving into the detail. Imagine that's a highlight in, in your month on a regular basis when you do those lectures. It's actually it's actually refreshing. It keeps it keeps you on your toes because the students today are really really smart, intelligent. They're sort of impatient in a way, and it keeps you sharp uh, because the alternative is you know you just roll along and and uh, become dull. But uh, I find it just keeps me um, on edge in terms of preparation or readiness or agile in my thinking. So you know I, it's it's beneficial for both. I think. I um. Well, I hope, I hope that uh, some of your peers will, will do the same thing. Now, I'm curious to get a, a bit of insight into kind of a, a day in uh, the world that you have currently. I mean, you've got a couple of challenges uh, that you're working on that are pretty broad. When we think about this topic of 5G as a general thing, there's a lot of discussion about it. And in some worlds, people keep talking about 5G coming. I, I think the reality is that we all know it's here. I mean, I have a 5G-enabled phone. I've found various parts in the world that have 5G deployed. I get a 5G signal, and it shows up with a little icon. It switches from 4 to 5G, et cetera. So before we dive into some of the topics we mentioned before around the hyperconnectivity and uh, some of the uh, application implications of 5G, et cetera, um, maybe uh, can you just give us a bit of a, a sense of what a day in the life of Liam Quinn is like? Because you've got a pretty exciting and challenging uh, role as far as you know this broad remit across 5G, but also obviously some operational things you've got to focus on day to day. What does a day in the life of Liam Quinn look like inside Dell Technologies? So uh, if we leave the operational aspect aside, uh, the primary focus right now for me um, this past year and, and going forward is our being the exec sponsor for 5G with uh, another executive on the enterprise side. Um, no day is the same, um, and so that makes it exciting. Um, we have a number of work streams going as part of our two-pronged strategy that we're going to talk about here later. And uh, we are driving those work streams with leaders and virtual team members and organizations 
to develop um, a consistent strategy on a multi-year basis. So we form what's called a North Star uh, strategy across our uh, company for 5G. And as a North Star, that's a multi-year vision out there, which is three to five plus years out. And then that allows us to incrementally drive what we need on a year-on-year basis, along with our partners, with our customers, and it helps drive an aligned point of view within the company, but it also, and more importantly, allows us to communicate with a consistent point of view and voice into our customers and with our technology partners as we're driving features and functions and capabilities from a hardware, software, and applications perspective in order to deliver those KPIs and those features on a year-on-year basis in order to realize the North Star. Because if you're going on a short-term basis, you're not going to have an innovative strategy. You're going to have a Me Too or just a, a, a pedestrian, as I call it, strategy. So this is setting the strategy high, the vision high, and then that drives alignment and, uh, and capabilities across our internal groups as well as with our internal external partners and customers in order to have that voice of strategy and vision as well as the expectation from our technology partners. Well, that leads me into my next so, question, I guess, because I think you mentioned strategy there, and I, I, I imagine that there's a lot of demand out in the market now for people. That, you know, we've had a, you know, a good solid year in 2019, even and, if, and even latter part of 2018 of hearing about 5G coming. It's being rolled out, it's deployed, but the reality is it's here. But I imagine there's a lot of uh, demand from your your industry sectors for some of that uh, insight around how to develop a strategy, how to get started, where do they put a, a foot in the ground? Um, because there's so much to be considered around not just the voice and the data, but all of that, all of the rich capability that 5G brings about. Because you know, I guess we hear this phrase that 5G is not just another G, but um, I think a lot of organizations are struggling to comprehend what that actually means to them. Is it the case that you, a lot of the focus is on helping your clients just gra- grasp strategically where they should start and what that first step should be and, and even just maybe getting a documented strategy internally? It is, both internally and externally, because a lot of the industry in the world is very familiar with 1G, 2G, 3G, and more recently 4G. And those terms are typically associated with cellular phone or cellular device functions and capabilities. I got a 4G phone, I can do now more interesting things than I could do with my old 3G or 2G analog phone. 4G is really, really great. I can really order things online, I can navigate and so on and so forth, upload and download YouTubes. 5G is different in that it's not just another smartphone. And I think the the nuances of the implication of this transition is somewhat lost uh, in a number of areas. And it's more of the impact of this 5G uh, environment on the enterprise and the telco infrastructure that's more important and it's going to be more impactful than another 5G phone or 5G notebook. And that's really, I call it the tip of the bigger picture. And it's the bigger picture that's not well articulated, it's not well understood, and we spend a tremendous amount of time internally as well on aligning what 5G means to Dell Technologies as well as the opportunities afforded by 5G from a telco uh, as well as service partner uh, or service provider industry uh, segments. It's a bigger opportunity there than just another modem in a client device or a notebook device. 
Um, so I think there's a lot of education that needs to happen, will happen. Um, but of course, everybody talks about 5G. I sort of jokingly talk about, well, I've passed that now. I'm talking about 6G. So that's sort of a, <laughs> an internal <laughs> joke. Which is, uh, moved on from that. <laughs> I like that. I'm going to get a T-shirt with that on it. Forget 5G. I'm already talking about 6G. Although, hilariously, uh, I was yeah. in China recently, and in all seriousness, one of the topics on the agenda was uh, to sort of start planning for 6G. Uh, and, and I looked around the room as if, like, are they pranking me or this is real? But uh, anyway, I'm sure, you know, we're, I mean, 3 GPP is only... Believe me, there are, a lot of companies, there are a lot of companies right now putting um, plain loads of people on standards for 6G in terms of um, features capabilities and IP uh, development. So right. I'll pause there. Uh, I've, um, I've no doubt. I, it, 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 the term I use is that 5G is a multi-year journey. It's not going to happen in 2019. You're going to see a little more uh, solidification of features and capabilities in the infrastructure in 2020, but it's a multi-year journey in order to realize the promise of all the features and capabilities of 5G, particularly when it comes to spectrum and policies and and uh, regulatory issues. So it's a multi-year journey, um, and I think we need to be very clear in emphasizing the that it is a multi-year journey. It's not a light switch that's going to happen overnight. No, indeed, and, and I guess yeah, when we look back at um, the transition from. 2 to 3G was fairly unique because we went from analog to digital. We went from 3 to 4G, as you said. You know, we got more functionality, but we still really had one or two killer apps. Um, and, and when we say that 5G is not just another G, it, it isn't, as you said, it's not so much about the cellular capability because we're now we're, you know, when, we, when we started thinking about what 5G was in the early days, it wasn't necessarily about a better phone experience and faster phone calls or downloading 10,000 uh, flicks of videos a day. It was about machine-to-machine connectivity, and I think the LTM standard sort of gave us a sense of what that was going to be. Um, it's frightening to think that we, uh, we haven't even finished deploying 5G yet and people are thinking about uh, 6G because I think a lot of people don't even understand that we're still only up to release 17 or sort of what is, you know, in many ways a, a draft of the, the 5G standard, even though we've got new generation or next generation radio sorted out. One of the things that I'd love to dive into, because yeah. I know you're better positioned than most people I'll ever have the opportunity to chat with about this, is this whole space of, you know, in the era of 5G, this topic of hyperconnectivity. If we put the mobile and cellular stuff aside and all the fun stuff around the digital transformation of carriers and operators, and service providers having to become cloud companies and deal with software-defined infrastructure and software-defined networking, one of the big things that keeps coming up is this topic of hyperconnectivity. And I'd love to get your sense of kind of what that actually means in your world, and, and particularly from the context of Dell and Tel Technologies. When, when Dell Technologies thinks about hyperconnectivity within the context of 5G, what does that actually mean in general sense at the high level? Um. A good question, Des. Um, I look at multiple uh, multiple sectors uh, and lenses, and let me let me describe them. So, when you look at IoT, it's been struggling for a couple of years in the realization of IoT. The reality is, IoT has been around for 30, 40 years in terms of embedded systems, sawmills, uh, streetlights, you know, control systems on trains and buses and and, and agricultural equipment and industrial equipment. In the modern world where it gets connected to the internet, that's where the term IoT comes from, okay? And you're going to see more and more smart devices in the physical world being enabled from a connectivity perspective because sensors are so cheap and networking is available. So all of that data 
is now going to get onto a network called 5G or other networks, whether it's Wi-Fi or wired or fiber or whatever. All that data is a tsunami that's coming that allows a physical world to be more connected tomorrow than it is today or yesterday. With that, it, it generates the opportunity for the analytics of that data. It has to be executed. It has to be stored. It has to be uh, analysis done on that, and it has to be moved. So from a Dell technology, to answer your question specifically, we are very well positioned right now, given our IT portfolio from an end-to-end perspective, from all the way from ruggedized systems, IoT gateways, all the way through networking, analytics, software-defined networking, software-defined storage, servers, modular data centers, and so forth, as well as security with RSA, SecureWorks, and, um, and application deployment with Boomi and VirtuStream, the richness of the portfolio that we have is very well positioned for the tsunami of data that originates not alone from existing devices in the IT world, also the addition of new data coming in from this hyper-connected environment that's the physical world coming into the internet-connected world. So that's where there's a lot of uh, excitement and opportunity of what we can realize with partners in order to fulfill their IT needs in this this new transition to a more connected world. So when you look at, uh, and I, I actually see 5G as a key enabler for uh, technology areas that have been sort of struggling, like IoT as now an enabler because the bandwidth is there, the capabilities are there, the analytics are there, the storage is there. New applications like smart cities, smart, smart industries, smart environments, smart connected homes that generate a lot of this connectivity that wasn't available three, four, five years ago. And it's now the bandwidth capabilities, the latency requirements, and the capacity requirements are going to be fulfilled more with 5G than it has been with the previous uh, networks that were out there. It brings to mind this report you put out recently, uh, I think it was titled Realising 2030, where uh, you um, researched that whole challenge of, you know, the next era, if you like, of, of human and machine partnerships. And, you know, you mentioned a few t- big big topics like smart cities, smart infrastructure around the IoT. Um, I'd love to get your insights into kind of what, what brought about that piece of research to put together this uh, Realising 2030 uh, report and and some of the learnings you gleaned from that, particularly in the context of what you're talking about there, with that the the the, the hyper and massive connectivity challenge it comes with not just the Internet of Things, but uh, connected machines. Because I remember back in in the late '80s, you know, we used to have permanent sort of you know X25 all the way to frame relay circuits, and then eventually ISDN to connect things to pull that data off sensors and things. Or, you know, um, big mining sites, big work plants, manufacturing spaces, or even transport logistics environments. Whereas now the little sensors are essentially connected through either 5G and in, in, in many cases going forward, but Wi-Fi in some cases. But we started bolting this stuff to the internet and we started to break the internet. Now we sort of got this internet of things that's got its own network in the carrier space. But it seemed to me that some of the findings in this Realising 2030, when you looked at uh, what was happening around the machine-human uh, partnership space, that we're now moving to space where the machines are smarter, they can make intelligent decisions, but they can also make life better for us in a whole range of spaces. Yeah, so that's, a, that's an example of, you know, a North Star, if we can use 2030s a North Star, you know, phonetically speaking. So it's out there, there's a number of things that we realize 
or we envision can happen, should happen, may happen. And that sets a trajectory of where you can actually drive um, innovation. So, for example, uh, ones I like to think about are immersive, uh, immersive uh, trends, collaborative trends, intelligent trends. If you look at your notebook today or your smart device or your phone, it's not very intelligent. It sits there until you ask it to do something. If you want to read an email, you can read it. If you want to write an email, you've got to write it or dictate it or dictate a text. Uh, why can't those devices be smarter and make the machine smarter and then the humans become conductors of the digital domains that are, and devices that are around them? So, for example, you and I right now are on a call. We're in the studio. We're talking face-to-face. You're taking notes, so you have to record it. In the future, our devices will be smart enough that they're actually recording our discussion. It's collating the report. It's putting in the right metrics or, or um, data in there in order to generate a report or, or uh, a podcast out of this automatically without us having to do any work afterwards. Uh, and again, that's where driving more intelligence into the platforms, I think, is going to be key. I think more immersive capabilities, just as I'm sitting in front of my system, that the audio is 3D. I know where you're positioned in, in your studio based on I'm visually looking at you. But if I were on a phone with you, I would know how you're situated, where your where your devices are, and if there's multiple people in the conference room, I would know positionally where they are based on I'm looking at them from, let's say I'm stitching all of the cameras that are on the notebooks by every user or together so I can get one holistic view of the room. The audio, I'm stitching that together so I get one sort of great response from the room that I'm dialing into. Um, but I'm also immersed because I'm remote. For example, if I were remote, I would be totally immersed in the conversation as if I was sitting at the table. Um, another one, and I've talked earlier about the intelligence, and I think that's a key area for, for innovation around uh, the intelligence into machines so they become more of a partner for customers like you or I or users because the machine is more intelligent as being, it's anticipating my needs. It likes the way I set up my system from a, a GUI graphics, a keyboard stroke perspective. It adapts to my style. If I go any further, it, you could say, well, it knows the way I type. So therefore, if you just typed on my system, it says, this is not the style that Liam types. It's not the rate of typing that he's doing. Therefore, uh, you're a non-qualified user to be on this system and maybe shut down or put in security blocks and so forth. So there's a tremendous amount of innovation we can and will do in the client side, and that permeates across all of the IT uh, platforms and assets that uh, we have in our portfolio. And other companies, I'm sure, will be thinking of doing the same thing. It's going to be an exciting future for us when some of that stuff gets glued together because, as you said, all the pieces there, we've got a lot of those pieces of the puzzle. As you said, you know, we're recording this in audio now. Um, it'll get transcribed. It'll get turned into blogs. It'll get used for, for quotes and one-liners on social posts and so forth. But that's a very manual process of, of uploading, downloading, copying and pasting. But, I, you know, when I'm... Closing my eyes and, and envisioning what you're describing, I, I sort of think to myself, you know, we're probably not that far away from it, given some of the technologies that you've got within Dell and Dell Technologies. And I, for listeners who are tuned in, uh, we're, I would love them to jump online, us are listening, and just web search the phrase 
Um, and and it's all and I guess the thing is we got to remember this is sort of you know when we talk about 2030 it sounds like a long way away but it's only a decade away but if you search for the phrase realizing 2030 with Dell Technologies you'll find a whole web portal a page full of information about it but particularly uh, there's six key topics I just wanted to highlight because they surround that sort of the whole uh, outline you just gave us. They range from insights around the research for things like the future of the economy, uh, the future of work, the future of connected living, uh, the the grand topic overarching this or the next era of the human-machine uh, partnership, um, and then a, a bunch of insight into what's happening around just the future in general with what business leaders are having to, uh, to be faced with. And then underpinning that is another one that I really enjoyed, which is kind of the new era of government, because I think this is going to be a, a, a sort of a ground shift that... We, I don't know that it'll happen overnight, but eventually the, the concept of what a government is is going to change in my mind as well, and I like the data that come out, came out of that. So for listeners, make sure you jump online and, and search for that uh, under Dell Technologies. Search for Realising 2030, and you'll find these amazing reports. One of the things that strikes me with that is that, Liam, when you're talking about this, I mean, we're effectively describing an environment where we have just this permutation of smart agents, really, aren't we, where the technology is intelligent, it's got agents built in, whether it's device level or system level or cloud level, and they all have various levels of connectivity where you've got some form of control of the treatment of the data, the security, the profile, and as you said, down to potentially you know sentiment analysis-styled recognition of, well, this is Des typing on Liam's keyboard and he shouldn't do that. Or even potentially you might say, uh, keyboard, let Des type for the next 20 minutes because he's taking notes and, and then lock him out after that. Uh, I mean, you know, it sounds George Jetson-ish uh, as far as the concept, but we're probably not that far away from this, are we? We're not, actually. And uh, the, the one of the areas that I find fascinating, too, is, you know, again, 5G, 4G is not going to go away for a long time because it's going to be an overbuild or it's going to continue to um, realize the investment that telco and service provider companies put in that. Uh, you look at Wi-Fi and the billions of devices that are out there, Bluetooth, other capabilities. Some of those are in spectrum that's licensed, some are on unlicensed spectrum. And we are moving into what I call an always connected um, environment where your system is always connected, particularly from a notebook or tablet perspective. An example of an example of intelligence that we need to drive more uh, aggressively is Having the system decide which transport or network connectivity model to use based on the data that you're sending out. So if I'm sending a very restricted document to you um, that's got regulatory or or legal uh, content in there, the system should realize that this is a very secure um, payload and therefore the transport that you send out that payload on should be chosen widely. Is that going to be 5G path or is that going to be Wi-Fi path? Said another way, we want the system to be intelligent enough to be stay always connected and all, always secure and always manageable, but have the agility and the ability to connect on the right transfer based on the payload or the application. And I think that's that's another example of innovation that's not too far away. And, and uh, you're going to see that coming up here pretty soon. Because we have no choice, uh, you know. If we're not, if we're asking the user to go to uh, the airport and choose the Wi-Fi network, you know, that's that's all had. You have to say, we've got a, a really sweet, intelligent, uh, agile mobile platform, and it's just always connected. And I don't know which transport it's using, but I trusted it implicitly. Yeah. Well, I, I remember reading the. Uh, I think it was 
titled The Future of Connected Living Report that uh, was published by Dell Technologies. You had a quote that I actually I, I copied and pasted, which I'll just read out because I loved it. You said words to the effect that society will be an environment of hyperconnectivity in the scenes between home, work and car, and people will be more integrated into their digital environments, which will enhance and continue to drive workforce and IT transformation and human potential and creativity. I was like... Wow, that's um, <laughs> that's quite a mouthful, but but as you've just said now, that that intelligence is going to be built into the devices, and it's like, in many ways, I think a lot of people worry about how they're going to make this happen, and yet when we look back, we didn't have to do anything to make the the three D to four G transition happen. It just happened. The new devices we got were connected, and, and even down to the you know nowadays, my laptop's got a SIM port, and I can just put a four G SIM in it. Um, I'm about to get a 5G SIM in there, so all of a sudden I'll have a 5G laptop. And, and I don't have to do anything with that. I just have to go and get another SIM from my provider. But I do like this idea that you talked about where society uh, being an environment of hyper-connectivity, I should say. Um, and, and again, for listeners who are um, interested in reading this, there's a report called, and it's titled The Future of Connected Living, uh, and it's part of the Realizing the 2030 space. And well worth a read. Just uh, jump on your favorite uh, search engine and look for that. Um, Is there a shift taking place that is in lockstep with this? I mean, I know we've got a lot of work happening in business and we've got a lot of work happening in technology or in the space. But when you talk to some of the companies you work with at the highest levels, are we seeing this cultural behavioral shift to be prepared for this? Because I think this is another thing that, you know, it's one thing to build the capability with the technology, make everything 5G enabled, uh, achieve hyperconnectivity with with machine to machine and device to people and this whole human machine relationship. But when we talk about this networked reality, this whole shift to being always on, as you said, what sorts of things should organisations and, and people in general and society be thinking about as far as the cultural behavioural shift to be ready for that? I mean, because it's, it's, it's a fairly big leap in many ways to sort of be always connected. And, and, you know, I remember the other day talking to my kids about the fact that we used to buy, you know, printed street maps and you'd flip through page 88 and find out how to get to my house. Um, nowadays, you just follow the blue dot. Um, I don't know if there was a, a, a jump to that, but I, I do remember one day looking at my phone thinking I, it's, I can't remember when I last looked at a street map. Is this, is this something that people should be thinking about as far as how to gear up for that, or is it just something that's going to happen to us naturally and organically? I think it's evolving, uh, Des. Um, and a, a lot of industries are struggling with the whole digital transformation, workforce transformation, and what does it mean? I think a lot of companies are, are are sort of that's a good buzzword that's been around and it's been around a couple of years. I think the connection to uh, things like 5G as an accelerant or an enabler for those terms like digital transformation and workforce transformation has now resonated throughout uh, all of the um, industry segments. I think it's it will continue to was going to be a journey. I think more education, more um, Clarity, even from a blog or social media perspective, will be helpful because, you know, like every technology, 5G is fraught with acronyms and terminologies that sort of become frustrating and mind-numbing for a lot of folks. And I think there's an opportunity to really drive clarity and crisp messaging in what 5G means today, but what it means in a journey in a multi-year outlook perspective and how it impacts industries versus technology for technology's sake. And I think that's the opportunity to, to, to clarify, to help clarify those areas of, um, of transitions. 
I guess that brings me to my one of my questions I wanted to delve into, and that is the whole topic of demystifying the hype around 5G. I'd love to sort of uh, uh, just pivot sideways a bit and think about some of the challenges from, you know, from a year from today, uh, you know, 12 months or so, or even five years or 10 years. Um, what are some of the, the implica- implications that we should be thinking about with, with all things 5G? I mean, we've talked about hyperconnectivity. We've talked about some of the security challenges. We're all aware that things are going to go faster. There's going to be lower latency, higher volume, higher bandwidth. Um, but y- you must see a number of discussions and you must be leading some of those yourself around, the, I guess, the application and implications of 5G is going to bring about. But in the context of sort of what we should expect the next one to five to ten years, do you have a general sense of where we should be thinking about this sort of shift as to, you know, what are the immediate things we need to be working on and talking about and, you know, from boardroom to water cooler in the next 12 months versus, you know, where will we be in five to ten years? I know it's a big, broad thing, but I imagine you're better uh, a place than many to sort of give us some insight into kind of that whole, uh, you know, challenge of if we demystify the hype around 5G, what, what does it actually equate to in, in real terms in, in, I guess, both business and society? Yeah, I think there's, I think there's, uh, as I call it, uh, crispness and, and clarity of message from a simplified perspective. Um, if you look at Dell technology, I'll speak for, for Dell for here for a moment. Um, you know, we've got a strategy that's focused on the telecom service provider and what we can deliver into those companies and partners as they go through their infrastructure, physical, software architecture transitions, we have a lot of capabilities and assets that we can deliver into those partners. That's one. On the enterprise side of the equation, that's where uh, companies will start to deploy and use 5G from an enterprise perspective around, let's say, smart factories or uh, smart industries or, or um, you know, private networking, uh, when you think of a building site or, um, you know, industrial complex where you have to have networks set up and tore down over a period of time, um, you know, where private mobility can be deployed there uh, for tracking assets from an IoT perspective, tracking goods, and monitoring um, workloads, as well as uh, balancing workloads based on applications and, and latency and so forth. Um, that's that's another example of where 5G will be deployed, and where uh, again the the applications can be deployed. Uh, other areas are around IoT and the use of uh, 5G in an IoT environment. So I think there's there's key areas that you can focus on. If we look at uh, what we're doing on the ruggedized uh, side of things, on our ruggedized notebooks that go into first responders, military, and other applications. Imagine having the capability to do a triage on an accident uh, from a ruggedized first responder, and all of that data could be uploaded in the ER room, being analyzed before the ambulance gets there with the patient or patients. You know, that's a great example of the capability of 5G from bandwidth perspective, a latency perspective, a workload perspective, uh, to have that uh, time-sensitive data ready and being analyzed before the patient gets there. That's one example. And there's lots of those that you can uh, think about as you go through different vertical uh, segments. Uh, I talked about uh, private networking in industry, particularly around uh, process control where you have manufacturing uh, capabilities and you need very low latency to catch uh, quality issues or or, uh, discrepancies in in workflows um, where you can stand up a network without the cost of uh, deploying wired infrastructures and the latency is so low that you can actually respond very quickly to adopt or change 
a process flow in order to continue the, the quality levels that, uh, and the KPIs that an industry may need in that case. So uh, to answer your question, Des, I think it really is about keeping it simple, keeping it crisp, but also being very targeted in the applications. And of course, the rollout by the telcos and service providers is going to be critical for the enablement of all of that. And I think people have to, uh, industries have to realize what's real and what's hype because there's a lot of press and PR around 5G by industries of what they're doing. Uh, but I think it's to, to balance what the reality is on one side versus the applications on the other side. Yeah, there's always, a, there's always a lot of media-based excitement about these things, and you don't sell newspapers without punchy uh, headlines. But um, if you're in the boardroom trying to get a, a standard uh, agenda item that you leave on the agenda every month for the board to discuss with the CEO, it gets a little messy trying to figure it out. I'd love to delve into a couple of the things you mentioned there because there's some very big, exciting spaces you just highlighted there. Um, when I think about some of the environments like manufacturing, engineering, I mean, here in Australia, we've got massive mines with the you know, huge trucks running around, in some cases autonomous. We just tested our first autonomous train from one side of the country to the other uh, without a driver, and that successfully worked. One of the things that strikes me when I talk to people is that they've been trying to, as you said, roll out uh, you know, hyperconnectivity and multiple sensors and the sort of the Internet of Thing design model, and Wi-Fi didn't really support them because you could really only put about 200-odd or 250 sensors per Wi-Fi access point. You had to roll out hundreds, if not thousands, of these. This is going to be a game-changer, I think, in that whole space of you know, robotics and manufacturing and engineering, both from monitoring as well as the, the, the communications backwards and forwards for autonomous robots and things moving, because now we're not limited to that sort of you know, couple hundred devices per Wi-Fi access point. This has got to be a game changer in just even that basic connectivity, let alone the, the data and the throughput. Uh, are, you, are you seeing people sort of wake up to that realization and think, oh, I'm not limited by the sort of the 802.11 Wi-Fi technology. Now I can, I can make everything 5G and I can connect a whole bunch of other things that I hadn't imagined before? I, I don't think that's happened as much as we would like to think. And the reason for that is it's the G. what i mean by that is people uh, um, think about this as synonymous with cellular right phones 4g equals phones 4g equals cellular 5g therefore must equal the same thing and it's that bigger part that we talked earlier about the infrastructure impact that's where the carriers are moving to a software-defined infrastructure and more of an open standard disaggregated architecture that allows them to deliver agile network features as well as networking slicing capabilities that support varying and diverse workloads. And that may be for the theorists to understand, but that, that, that transition is going to have a huge impact on vertical markets as well as consumers because of the flexibility and capabilities of those new network types into what business it can realize as part of their business transformation. That hasn't happened. That sort of um, Nirvana understanding of that has not happened because G equals cellular in most people's minds equals my cell phone. That, that's a good point, actually. I'm glad you raised that because uh, it's something that comes up regularly in conversations that I have around the world where people, as you said, they, they haven't quite flipped the switch as to, you know, okay, 5G isn't just for my phone. Uh, and yet, 
they hear the talk about you know billions of connected things in the IoT space and they can't grasp how that's going to happen. But I think it's a, an interesting thing that we probably need to do a better job of collectively of, of explaining that that five G isn't just another fire, another G in the telco space. That um, and you mentioned before that we're not going to see uh, the likes of, of Wi-Fi uh, in the 802.11x space vanish overnight because there's a lot of sunk infrastructure and sunk cost in that space. It's going to be deployed and managed for a while. But I imagine that we're going to get to a point where, you know, even the, the new laptops are not going to come with sort of 4G capability, even though the modems are expensive now for 5G. You know, the top end ones will have that. And then the new sensors will come out and they won't be Wi-Fi enabled. They'll be 5G enabled. So I imagine there'll be a scenario where people uh, hopefully in the next year will start to deploy 5G access points in parallel to some of their, their think, uh, Wi-Fi. I think, I think uh, there's, you're going to see a blurring of, of a lot of these technologies, particularly on the client end of things. Client being, I call out three, a tablet, a notebook, and a smartphone. Okay? And you're going to see a blurring where chips are coming out of some of the major companies will have an integrated Five, I'll leave it at that, as well as <laughs> Wi-Fi, as well as Bluetooth, all in the same chipset. And that chipset is a smart son of a gun that actually can adapt to the right path to get right. out of your notebook or your device. So I think you're going to see more of a blurring because talking about Wi-Fi and 5G or 4G or XG or XY, in 10 years' time is going to be old hat, right? That's like saying... You know, I went to school on a bicycle, and I could go to school on a train, and I go to school on a car. I go to school. I get there. I don't care how I get there. I just get there. So the wireless capabilities got to blur, and you're going to see even cellular technology like 4G and 5G are going to start using and being deployed in unlicensed spectrum that's already used by Wi-Fi, for example. And they've got to coexist. And we need to drive that, those discussions more aggressively than the industry is doing. Uh, because spectrum is like land. When you have land, you can do lots of development on the land. But if you don't have the land, you would like to have the land. So, you know, when you have unlicensed spectrum, that's free. And believe me, when you run out of capacity on the spectrum, on the licensed side, you want to start deploying your technology in the unlicensed side. So I think there's going to be more of a convergence and a blurring of technologies on the edge devices, the ones I mentioned earlier into an intelligent connected set of modems or platforms. Yeah, I like that. And uh, That's my a lot of uh, a lot of uh, countries are struggling with the whole challenge of, you know, spectrum licensing and availability. Uh, you know, I, I think you know, in many ways, unlike sort of the internet protocol and TCPIP and other things where globally we all work to the one standard and the internet works, nations have had to come up with ways to, to manage spectrum and, and radio frequency and so forth. And we've got some nations, I won't mention the name of them, but some nations locked all of the millimeter wave spectrum aside for military and defense use, only to find that later carriers wanted it for 5G. And now they're having to figure out how to release some of that spectrum. And you know, the defense groups are saying, well, we don't want to do that. So I, yeah, I like that idea that this is blurring that I guess, you know, as we've seen with other, other Gs, as it were, we don't really think about the cutover. Even when I go into the regional areas of Australia, I cut from 4 to 3G. I don't think about it. It just happens. It just means I can't send a, an email. One of the things that I really love that jumped out at me as well, uh, just listening to what you're saying there and, and thinking back about reading some of the re- research that's been done around Dell Technologies as we head towards 2030, is what's happening outside of sort of you know our immediate world, and that is developing nations and some of the things you're doing around. I think the term was leapfrog economies, where 5G 
sort of provided uh, more inclusivity and empowerment of some of the parts of the world that may not yet. You know, I think we hear the phrases that, you know, uh, when we think about Africa and the 54 territories and nations there and the 1.1 billion people there in India, the 1.3 billion people and roughly 1.45 billion people in China, that's 3.8 billion people, many of whom are unbanked and and disconnected. And they're about to get their first device and and some of those things are going to go away. And I know there's a lot of work around some of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, and particularly, I, I believe, Dell has focused on goal number eight, which is uh, you know, sustained uh, development and manufacturing. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on kind of where this is taking us outside the developed world, and that is that as developing nations, and not so much, you know, we call third world nations, but developing nations around the world that are unbanked and, and are not yet connected, when they get their first device, and not just for the, the 5G telco stuff, but all the super rich, and uh, I guess, immersive technology, whether it's augmented reality or mixed reality and um, the multi-stack applications. Uh, I mean, I love the phrase of leapfrog economies because it seems to me that they're going to go from where they are today to where we are in a very short period of time. Um, what are you seeing out in the world around that sort of development and, and sort of, I guess, uh, you know, happening uh, around the world as, as the technology is being made available, particularly with the work you're doing in Dell Technologies, are rolling some of that out with either clients or, or infrastructure providers? Yeah, I think it's exciting given the, the features and capabilities of technology in a transition like 5G because um, using the wireless capabilities there versus putting in physical CapEx infrastructure and investments into the ground or, or, or over the air, or uh, over poles and um, pylons and so forth. So I do think it's going to be an accelerant, uh, particularly given the features and capabilities of that technology that allows uh, productivity out of the box. Because when you take your device out of the box or your package, you want to be connected, you want to be ready to go into a productive um, uh, mode or uh, environment because your device is ready to go. It's it's connected out of the box. You don't have to configure. You don't have to get SIMs in there. It can be provisioned over the air. It can be managed over the air. And you can deploy containers in order to have different types of workload based on uh, customers or employees um, in remote areas and, and, uh, and regions. Um, and for consumers, it allows uh, it allows equal connectivity to the internet like the rest of the world. So um, you know, those features and capabilities did not exist in some of the previous uh, iterations of, of, of wireless capabilities um, because Wi-Fi may not be available in those in, in every region, but certainly cellular is easier to deploy and will provide that change and leapfrog into equal status from a connectivity and productivity and social uh, perspective. I know uh, I was reading something recently that uh, blew my mind. Uh, uh, Michael Dell is the official global ambassador for goal number eight in the uh, United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And I read a statistic that apparently something like 1.2 billion signatures were gathered uh, as part of that campaign to support the inclusion of, of the goal in the SDN, uh, SDG agenda. Um, so it seems to me there's like built into the DNA of the Dell brand or Dell technologies as such this desire to not just change the technology stack and provide better widgets with flashing lights, but to actually solve problems that make life better for humanity. And I, that, for me, really excited me because I think, as you said before, and one of your, your comments was, um, you know, having technology for the sake of technology is one thing, 
But it seems to me that like a lot of the focus in your organization is about solving problems for humanity with technology, um, which is a, a, a heady goal, but it seems like you're actually achieving that on a day-to-day basis. And as you said, some of these shifts that are coming about now are going to completely transform lives. Um, is that something that sort of, you know, is it in the DNA of the company naturally or is it, are there sort of programs that run this through that have helped grow and sustain that? I guess it's a, a bit of both sides, isn't it? I would say it's, it's in our DNA. Uh, Michael is very passionate about the application of technologies for the betterment of human, uh, human uh, kind and mankind. And we strive every day to make sure that what we deliver or what we design, develop and deploy is going to be a great experience. And you always talk about the customer first and how you can make them happy. And you put yourself in that uh, scenario that if you were to get a device from Dell or a product or, or a solution, is it a great what we call out-of-the-box experience in that it's a delight, it's got the right features, the right capabilities, it's got the right finish, it looks great, feels great, and functions in a great way. And I think that's just built into our DNA because it comes from the top down, and, and Michael's very passionate about that. He talks it from a passion perspective, and it's, uh, it permeates across the organizations, and it becomes the way we do work. And uh, you always think of customer first. That's the bottom line, customer first, and everything permeates from there. And if you approach things like that, it's actually – it actually gives you great um, freedom of, of, of thought, of, of innovation and capabilities and discussions even within the company on what's the best thing to delight the customer. And it's a very simple phrase, but it actually drives the behavior of how we work. No, I love that sense. And I guess it brings us back to that idea that you know, a lot of organizations forget that people do business with people inside businesses. And, uh, you know, if there's a, a, someone like Michael Dell is the face of the brand uh, living and breathing this stuff, then that culturally the organization is going to follow that and be in lockstep. And I think it, it shows in so many ways. One, one last thing I'd like to touch on, because I know I've had a lot of your time here before we wrap up. I mean, one of the things that I'm keen to get is some of your insights around lessons learned and particularly in the context of practical tips. Uh, uh, we, we sort of talk about this idea of from boardroom to water cooler. Uh, if you were to think about where and when to start uh, talking about and discussing the whole challenge that 5G is going to bring to it, not just business growth and transformation of the business, but also some of the pitfalls that we could potentially uh, learn to avoid. Again, you're a better place than many I get the opportunity to talk to about where some of those pitfalls might be. If you were to share some sort of, you know, over the horizon future vision practical tips that people could sort of take away in action, um, what would a couple of those be, uh, both in the context of what you're doing inside uh, Dell Technologies in your role, but also generally uh, on a global scale, given that, you know, A, you're lecturing from one end of the spectrum to, to the next generation through to actually talking to some of the biggest decision makers in the world and some of these organizations. If you were to share some practical tips around some of the lessons learned, what would they be? Sure. So I think you've got to be very realistic in what uh, what technology is doing, what its state of readiness and its state of deployment. And sometimes we see companies and, and, and strategists get ahead of the curve and it's the next shiny object, therefore you must have it. And I think it's very critical to ensure that, A, do you understand the technology? And B, what is the opportunity for that technology in your place of work or your industry or when you go into the boardroom? So I think you've got to be very guarded 
in the setting the expectation of the technology readiness and the maturity and the opportunity for deployment at the right time, you don't want to be behind the curve. You don't want to steer left and the industry goes right. You got to be the headlights out there on where it's coming, but the pace it's coming at you and the opportunity of adopting or integrating that technology if applicable into your industry and why. So I think there's that balance of, of technology excitement, shiny object aspect of it, into the realistic deployment of that and the application of that technology in a business sense into your industry or your, your um, company. And I think that's very, very important and doesn't always happen. That's why sometimes you see parts of the industry running way ahead that if you're not deploying te- technology X, you're out of business tomorrow. It's, uh, it's all about um, blending those uh, features and aspects and uh, maturity and capabilities uh, based on a number of factors like technology readiness, partner readiness, industry standards, interoperability, um, certification and so forth, and then putting that in the right context of what's the right time for that. I love that. That's great advice. It's it's one of those things where often organizations become so besotted with a new shiny thing that they uh, they forget that they they really should be focused on their core business, right? Um, and I guess one of the things I would throw in there as well is that I think a lot of organizations uh, get caught up in this whole challenge. One of the pitfalls I see regularly, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is that they get excited about a new technology and they invest heavily in it uh, without fully understanding it, as you indicated, they should do. Uh, and then all of a sudden they realize they become an IT shop that, that is their core business. You know, they, they might be a newspaper publisher, but they become an IT shop that publishes newspapers. Or they were a bank once and they became an IT shop that does banking. In many ways, I, I think from what you said there, you know, uh, and I'd love your thoughts on this, is that it, it often is the case that we should really stick to our core business and seek the right partners and the right experts. And in this case, obviously, you know, reach out to yourself and your team at, at Dell Technologies around the client solution group and seek that expert advice. Uh, you know, if you're a bank, keep being a bank, but, but talk to Liam Quinn and the team about where 5G is going to take them as opposed to try and do it all themselves because you can only stretch that dollar so far and you can only have so many people with those skills internally. And if you're a bank, in my view, you should keep being a bank. Is that something you're seeing out there now? I guess as a last question, just, you know, in the industry, are you seeing people getting a little distracted with exciting new technology and sometimes losing focus on their core business? And then they should probably, you know, remain to their core business and, and look to industry experts such as yourself and, and companies like Dell Technologies to provide that gap fill for them uh, for this particular challenge as they might have done for other challenges? Well, for, for us, uh, we've always had a great uh, direct relationship with customers, and we continue to do that. We serve millions of customers a year. Uh, we've got lots of briefing centers uh, around the world in our briefing center areas, uh, Middle East, uh, um, Asia, as well as um, Europe and, and, and North America and South America. And they're important centers for big companies to come in and partners from big, small, and medium to come in and have those engagements and those dialogues with us. And even from our direct sales perspective, that's why it goes back to that consistent point of view internally so that we can have those fruitful discussions of, we're not trying to sell you something. We really want to understand what your challenges are, what are the uh, the transitions that you're going through, and where we can help solve your problems. So we're not trying to force feed technologies or products down our partners and customers' um, throats but it's more of understanding first what their business is and understand that thoroughly, building that, those relationships, 
and then having the discussion of what we can apply from our portfolio into those customers to help solve problems. So, again, it goes back to that customer-first uh, approach and model. And, it, and when you enjoy those discussions, then it becomes more uh, engaged and more enjoyable to have those secondary discussions of the products and solutions that we can deliver into those customers. So. I think we're well positioned from the legacy we've had with customers on a direct basis for the last 37 plus years. So, Indeed. And uh, remain focused on those outcomes because uh, it's, it's easy to get distracted with some of the new fun toys. But uh, at the end of the day, you've got to focus on business outcomes, I guess, uh, as I've learned the hard way many times my own companies. Well, Liam, it's been an absolute pleasure to spend an hour with you. And thank you so much for your time. And it's been great to get to know uh, both a combination of what uh, Life uh, and Liam Quinn as a senior vice president and a senior fellow uh, inside the client solution group of Dell Technologies like, as well as some of your amazing insights around not just what 5G is and what it's going to bring to us, but the challenges around hyperconnectivity and, and I guess, uh, as we did, demystifying some of the hype around uh, what's coming and some uh, great takeaways that people can actually uh, put into play right now and given that there's a lot of pressure on them, either as decision makers in business or technology, to actually get some uh, runs on the board as it were uh, around the space and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where you're going to take us in the next 12 to 18 months because it's a very exciting time for us and it's been great to catch up with you. Yeah, I really enjoyed it and had a good discussion so thank you very much.